If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, to chapter 4, verse 39. We are still in a portion of Deuteronomy, where Moses is trying to get the attention of the children of Israel. Whether they're a physical descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or whether they're part of the mixed multitude. Because they're about to enter into the promised land. And they are arrogant. And they believe they can do no wrong. And Moses is trying to say, when you cross over to the land, and you turn away from God, and you turn to sin, you're going to feel God's judgment like you never have before. So don't do it. So the word in Hebrew for a gently delivered talk would be amar, which is say. He said. Simple action. The words in Deuteronomy are debare, which are strong emotion. He's pounding the podium, trying to let the children of Israel know that I'm serious. If you turn away from God, the consequences will be severe. So as we come to Deuteronomy 4, verse 39, it says, Therefore, therefore what? You have seen how God brought Israel out of Egypt. You have seen how God parted the Red Sea and drowned the army of Pharaoh. You have seen how God fed the nation with manna each and every morning. And that manna will continue until the time they go into the land and take the crops that are fully growing. They have seen God provide water from the rock when they were thirsty. They heard God's voice from heaven. They saw the mountain on fire. They saw it quake. They saw God defeat the giants, Sihon and Og, and defeat them with ease. That's the therefore. Know this day and consider it in your heart. What's the difference between know and consider? No, be sure, be confident. You know it and think about it. Consider it in your heart. What did God do? Why did God do it? God did it because he loves you. God loves you. If you love God, it's because he loved you first. Therefore know this day and consider in your heart that the Lord himself is God. The word Lord there is the tetragrammaton. The four Hebrew letters, yod heh vav heh. The same Lord that is in Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you will, what? Confess, Confess with your mouth, what? That the Lord is Yeshua. That's the same Lord. He's the same God. The Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is ain Ode. There is no other. Why would he tell them this? Because when they go into the land, what do you know about the Canaanite peoples? Are they all nice God-fearing Christians? No, they're pagan peoples with all kinds of pagan gods and all kinds of pagan practices. And Moses is saying, don't be tempted to follow after their gods. Don't do it. Why? Because ain't owed. There is no 
other. Verse 40 goes on to say, you shall therefore, what's the therefore? Because there is no other God. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for a little while, for all time. That means forever and ever without end. His commandments are forever. Go to Psalm 89 verse 34 in case we have forgotten. Before I turn, verse 39, where it says considered in your heart. The word in Hebrew is to cause your heart to turn. Yeah. Yeah, which is a good good point there. So what what he's telling us is that as you know there is only one God and you know his commandments are forever, where should your heart turn to? To God. Should turn to God. Shuv is actually right to return as opposed to just turn. It's a beautiful word. It's where we get the word teshuva, which is the 40-day period we're in right now. What a segue to that. This is the time of repentance. What did John the Baptist preach at this time of year? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did Messiah preach as soon as he came out of the 40 days of temptation? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What am I going to tell you today? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is essentially telling them to repent. They don't think they need to. And that's the problem. We have millions of people sitting in pews across the world who think they are saved and perfect in God's eyes. And like the children of Israel, their confidence is misplaced. But, okay, thanks. That was a good point there, Daniel. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 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 Is repentance a one-time thing? No. Yeah, it's not, is it? What does the book of 1 John tell us happens when we repent and confess our sins? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And it cleanses from all unrighteousness. So how often should we repent? Just every time we sin. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. You know, that's an old Jewish proverb. How often should we repent? You only need to repent on the day you die. But since you don't know the day you're going to die, repent every day just in case. There's a lot of wisdom in that, I tell you. Okay. So do turn to Psalm 89.34. I know you could quote it. We all need t-shirts that say it. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. 
So in a preacher today, like, oh, Andy Stanley says, oh, those commandments, they don't apply. They went away. What's he saying about God? That God's a liar. I don't want to stand too close to him come judgment day, lest he repents. There's repentance for each and every one. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40, because I want to read it again. I want it to be embedded upon our minds, written upon our hearts. You shall therefore keep his statutes. It doesn't just say statutes, does it? Nor does it just say the statutes. So what's the origin of the statutes? Have any of you ever heard a preacher say, well, it's the law of Moses. Moses made these up. That's not what the scripture says. You shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong your days to land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Verse 41, then. Oh, wait a minute. One more point. It doesn't actually say for all time. It literally says all of the days. So it's more specific than for all time. It means each and every day from that point until eternity future. Wayne, what are we using for, for statutes? What are we using for statutes? Yeah, what are we, I mean, I can't grasp it. The word statute in Hebrew is chukot. And it means the commandments that we don't understand why we should do them. So the commandments, the mitzvot, we understand. Thou shalt not commit murder. Do we have to go, I wonder why God doesn't want us to murder? No, we can understand that. But God says, take a holy red cow to the Mount of Olives, slaughter it, and burn it with cedar, hyssop, and cheney-colored cloth, which is blood-colored. Burn it all together. Take a pinch of the ash and put it in a pot of water. Then take hyssop and dip it in the water and sprinkle people with it. Is that something you get up in the morning and go, sounds like a logical thing to do. <laughs> Answer, that's a statute. And in the Talmud they say, why do we have statutes and not just all commandments? And the answer is the statutes are ones we would perform only because of faith, because God told us to do them. If it was just thou not, shall not murder, we might just stumble into that and not want to kill people. Oh, those water pots with, with the waters of the ashes of the red heifer, have you seen those before in scripture? When Messiah turned the water to wine, they're specifically the pots of those waters of the ashes of the red heifer. Wine is a symbol of joy. To be cleansed from uncleanness and made righteous in the sight of the Lord, does that not lead to joy? Yeah, so if you read that account in John, it's specific which water pots are used. All right, verse... Yep, verses 41 to 43 are about cities of refuge. Cities of refuge, there are going to be six of them, if I recall. Three on the east side of the Jordan River, three on the west side. These are cities where a man or woman can go if they have unintentionally killed someone. 
If I kill somebody in anger, their relatives have the right to put me to death. That's not murder when they kill me. That's vengeance allowed by the Lord. But if it's unintentional, they can still kill me unless I run to the city of refuge. And in the city of refuge, they will have a trial. And if God says, no, he's innocent, this was unintentional, there was no hatred, he didn't intend harm, then I have to live in that city of refuge until the death of the high priest, and then I can go free. If I leave the city of refuge before the death of the high priest, the avenger of blood has the right to take my life. So that's what these cities are, a place to go if you've killed somebody and it was unintentional, no malice of forethought, no hatred in the heart. Now if I take a sword and hit somebody on top of the head, I can't claim that was unintentional. Yeah, God's smarter than that. So that's what these are. Starting in verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan, which is the east side of the Jordan, toward the rising of the sun, which is a breakway of saying east. That the manslayer, notice it doesn't say murderer, manslayer, might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in times past. That by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Bazer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, remote in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan and Bashan for the Monocytes. So it has to be unintentional and without hatred. What's the modern legal term for hatred that motivates one to kill? Malice of forethought. That's exactly what this is saying. If you had malice of forethought, you wanted them dead, then the fact that you accidentally killed them just as a nice coincidence is not going to help you. Premeditated murder. Okay. Verse 44. Now this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. All right. Verse 44. Now this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. What is the phrase, the law in Hebrew? Ha-Torah. So it starts in chapter 5. So we've come to the end, to the end of the end of the introduction in chapter 5. He's going to once more recite, starting with the Ten Commandments and going forward, all of the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God that are going to apply to everybody, to you and to me. And verse 45 says, these are the testimonies. The testimonies refer to the Ten Commandments on the, the two tablets of stone. They're called testimonies because everybody heard these with their own ears, in their own language. And they were the ones who asked Moses, please don't let God speak directly to us anymore, but speak to you and you give it to us. Sue says, Numbers 19 gives the instructions for the red heifer. That's true and correct. Numbers 19. So if anybody wants to look it up and see what has to happen, you'll find it there. Yep. So verse 45, these are the testimonies, the statutes, 
and the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt. Notice the word spoke, not a nice soft recitation, but a beating of the podium. Verse 46, on this side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Ah, what happened to Beth Peor? Numbers 25, when Balaam taught the children of Israel to participate in pagan idolatry and sexual immorality. So this is a nice place for Moses to say, let's go over the commandments again. In the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, dwelt past tense, because God slew him. Whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt, and they took possession of his land. And the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, these two kings were giants, who were on this side of the Jordan, excuse me, toward the rising of the sun, from Aror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sion, not Zion, but Sion, that is Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is the northernmost mountain in Israel. Beyond it is Lebanon. Mount Hermon is the headwaters of the Jordan River. And all the plain on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, below the slopes of Pisgah. Pisgah is the mountain on which Moses will die. That ends chapter 4. So let's go over our lessons learned. I know chapter 4 was over a few weeks. So, first lesson learned. Number 1. Obedience brings life. Let's go look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And the reason obedience brings life is obedience is only founded upon what? Faith. Faith is that which causes obedience. So Romans chapter 6 verse 16. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And then add to that Matthew 4.4, which you all know is quoted from Deuteronomy. When Messiah is first tempted by Satan, his first response is, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So when people say, which of the commandments of God are important, what did Messiah say? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lesson learned number two. Don't add to or take away from God's commandments. What do we learn in Deuteronomy chapter 4? Do not add to or take away from the commandments. Where does it say that? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. 
So how many commandments do we need to add to the Lord's? None. Then why did the scribes and Pharisees add tens of thousands? Because they didn't listen, right? They didn't listen. Why did the church add all the commandments they added? Because they didn't listen. Third lesson learned in Deuteronomy 4. Sin brings death. Go to Romans 6.23. Why did so many die in the wilderness? Because of disobedience, because of disbelief. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life and Messiah Yeshua our Lord. So number one was obedience brings life. Number two is don't add to or take away. Number three is sin brings death. That's not all, though. There's a number four. The law is righteous. Well, the opposite of righteousness is lawlessness. But Wayne, that's the Old Testament. Okay, all right. Turn to the book of Romans. We'll look at it in the New Testament. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Lesson learned number five. Teach your children. Why did Israel keep going astray? Because the parents forgot to what? Teach the children. Let's add four more points. First, those alive that he's talking to heard God's voice with their own ears. You and I don't have that honor and privilege, but we have their testimony of what happened. Second, they saw no form. So beware of any image that is supposed to be of God or of anything to be worshipped. Because idolatry will bring captivity and death. And the last point is God proved himself trustworthy. The spies said, there's giants in the land. We can't take the land. What were Sihon and Og? Giants. Did God have any trouble taking? No, he did not. With that, let's move on to chapter 5 of Deuteronomy. And rather than to get into the debacle I got into on chapter 4, verse 1, I printed out the Hebrew and circled the words. So when people go, which word is which? I can tell you exactly. Those four key words of Deuteronomy all appear in Deuteronomy chapter 5, 
verse 1. The word Shema is the word here. You see at the beginning of the quote. Let me read the verse. And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel. That word is Shema, and that's a command form. What's a command form? Do it. Pay attention. Hear, O Israel. There is no O. It's just Israel, but O Israel sounds better. The statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them. There's the second word, Lamad, L-A-M-A-D, which is learn. Shema, by the way, appears 30 plus times in Deuteronomy. Lamad or learn seven times. And be careful. That word be careful is actually shamar, which is to guard. And it's also a command form. To guard, to protect, to treat as valuable, keep them even. So I don't know why they translate it be careful, but it is ush martem. To observe them, that word observe is Asa. Shamar appears 39 times. Asa, which is do, translated here observe, is about a hundred times in Deuteronomy. So the words that appear the most times out of these four are Shema, hear. Shamar, keep or guard. And Asa, do them. What do you think God's trying to tell us? Is it enough just to know it? You have to do it. Put it into practice. Keep them. What was that last one, please? Last one was Asaw, which is do. In my English translation here, it's observe. But observe means to look at. And this doesn't say look at. It says do them. Asaw? A-S-A-H. Asaw. Appears about a hundred times. If God says something once, it's important. What if he says it a hundred times? Very important. All right. Um, comments on verse 1. First, Moses starts where the Lord started with the giving of the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Moses is going to start from there and reiterate every commandment that came from the lips of God, either directly to the people or to Moses and then to the people. And then I found something in my Liberty Bible commentary in the volume of the Old Testament on page 336 that I thought was significant enough that I would pass it on to you. It says, quote, what the Lord demanded of Israel then is still required of his people today. Yeah, I have a feeling he didn't get to write any more in, in the book, but that's really what he said. Verse 2. The Lord our God 
How is the word Lord spelled? That's the Tetragrammaton. The same Lord is in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. The Lord is Yeshua. The Lord, our God, not your God, not my God, our God, made a covenant with us in Horeb. The covenant's not with Moses. It's with all of us. And he's talking here. What is Horeb? What's another name for Horeb? Mount Sinai. This is the giving of the commandments, the Torah, at Mount Sinai. In that Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 2, that word Lord, I wanted to take a look and see how many times that appears in the Old Testament. God is a title, Lord is a name. How many times do you think it appears in the Old Testament? 6,521 times across 5,520 verses. This is the same Lord that is Yeshua in Romans 10, 9 and 10. couple of verses I want us to look at in this regard. First in the book of Isaiah chapter 43 verse 3 and these are going to be comments that you've heard before. When? Yes ma'am. Um, um, We're in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 2. Verse two. And two. We... Looking at the word Lord which appears 6,521 times in 5,520 verses just in the Tanakh. That's without looking at the New Testament. So you hear people say, well, Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. Only 6,521 times. Okay. So turn to Isaiah 43.3. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 3. For I am the Lord, there's that same tetragrammaton, your God, the Holy One of Israel. That refers to Isaiah chapter 12. The Holy One of Israel rules and reigns in Jerusalem throughout the Messianic kingdom. Any idea who that is? That's Yeshua. Yeah. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. What is the word for Messiah in Hebrew? Mashiach. What is the word Savior? Moshiach. Mashiach, Moshiach. They sound very similar, but they're not. Moshiach comes from the word for salvation. It's the participle form, ongoing salvation. Let's go to chapter 43, verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. What do we learn today? Ain owed. There is no other. That right there should let you know who the Lord is, if there is no other Savior. Chapter 43, verse 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer. Oh, now we get the word Redeemer, which is Goel. 
To be a redeemer, you must be an actual physical relative. The nearest physical actual relative that has the ability and the willingness to pay the price you can't pay for yourself. Is God in heaven as a spirit our relative? The answer is no. That's why he had to take on a body of flesh and blood and be born of the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago so he could be our flesh and blood relative. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Again, they use the phrase the Holy One of Israel to remind us of Isaiah chapter 12. Then in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, there's the Tetragrammaton, the King of Israel. Who's going to rule and reign through the Messianic Kingdom? The Lord is. That's our Messiah, Yeshua. And his Redeemer, there's the Goel again, the kinsman, the near relative. The Lord of hosts, Adonai Zavaot. What kind of prophecy? In times prophecy. I am the first and I am the last. Where do you see that? In Revelation chapter 22, spoken by Messiah. Besides me, there is no God. Everybody say what? Ain owed. There is no other. Isaiah 45, verse 15. Truly, you are God who hide yourself. Just think of Psalm 110.1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hands and make your enemies your footstool. O God of Israel, the Savior. 45.18 For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God. Does that remind you of John 1? Colossians 1? Who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. Ain owed. There is no other. Chapter 45, verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no other God besides me. A just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Everybody say what? Ain owed. It's not a good time of the day in Australia for somebody to be online. But somebody from Australia last night asked, what about when people say, the only commandments we're required to follow are those in Matthew? We, we did. And this just adds right on to it. Oh, let's see. That was 45.21. Now go to 47 verse 4. As for our Redeemer, our Goel, our kinsman Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Our Redeemer is our Messiah Yeshua. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the Holy One of Israel. 48.17 Isaiah 48.17 Thus says the Lord, there's that tetragrammaton again, your Redeemer, the Goel, the Holy One of Israel, that is the one who will rule and reign throughout the Messianic Kingdom. 
I am the Lord your God. Are we detecting a theme? One more. Isaiah 49, verse 26. Yes, ma'am. Back in 48, 17. Who teaches you to do things that will be of eternal value? Teaches you to do what's right. Isaiah 49, 26. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh. Just think of the tribulation period. They shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, am your Savior and your Redeemer. There's the Goel, the kinsman Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. I want to add to this Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. We read verse 16, but I want to add a few verses to it. Romans chapter 6, verses 16 to 19. Yep. We read verse 16 a minute ago, but I'm going to do it again to add 17, 18, and 19. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves or servants, it's the same word in Hebrew, to obey. You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Is there anything in those verses that says, go ahead and walk in sin, God likes it? Not a thing. So add to this what we just saw in chapter 4. Do we add to God's commandments? No. Do we take away from God's commandments? No. So if the Lord himself commanded us to keep Shabbat, and a church leader who will remain nameless said, no, don't do that, do Sunday instead, which should we do? If God said, do Passover, and a church leader said, do Easter instead. Which should we do? If God said, do tabernacles. And a church leader said, do Christmas. Which should we do? If God said, eat only clean food. And a church leader said, no, eat unclean food. It, it pleases God. To whom should we listen? Okay. Right answer. So let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 3. The Lord, there's that tetragrammaton, did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us. Those who are here today, 
all of us who are alive. God is not the God of the dead, right? He's the God of the living. So this covenant is with whom? All of us who are alive. If you look around the room, how many of us are alive? All of us. Whoops. I don't remember the exact verse, but I'm sure somebody will post it on the comments in a minute. Well, I just, you know, it, Yeah, Messiah spoke and it was in the Gospels yes. when the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. Okay. Yes. In verse 3, it's almost like he's, you know, he did, the Lord did make that covenant with the fathers, but they broke it, so it's as if they didn't. Yeah, but those are not the fathers he's talking about. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That they didn't get to go to Mount Sinai. Even though God made so many covenants with them and so many promises, it's those of us that are alive today, and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had passed on. So he doesn't want them to get the idea that because we are Abraham's descendants, we automatically gain access to heaven. As what do they begin to teach later? We're Abraham's descendants, therefore, yeah. He was trying to short-circuit that, didn't work so good. So it's not with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's go to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. Matthew 22, 32. Thank you. you even beat the folks out and go to meeting. <laughs> okay. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. What's that? Ah, just clarifying the verse. Okay. So God made covenants with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but they didn't make it to be at Mount Sinai to hear God's own verse. He's trying to tell the children of Israel how blessed they are. What an honor it would be. How many of you would like to have God speak to you directly from heaven in that great booming voice while holding up mountains on fire? No, you wouldn't. You'd be scared too. You'd be scared too. Go to Exodus chapter 19. I used to say, I wish God had just write something on the wall, but then I remember when he did that in Daniel 5. That was not good. Yeah. <laughs> Exodus 19, starting in verse 3. Exodus 19, starting in verse 3. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, which two words are parallel there? God and the Lord saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if, look at that word, if, you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
Then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Those words, keep my covenant, should jump off the page for all those who were listening last night. Remember Isaiah chapter 56? All the non-Jews that are going to come into the kingdom are those who keep the Sabbath day and hold fast to my covenant. You shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Have we heard that spoken about the church? Yes, we have. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and lay before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. That was the acceptance of the covenant. But did you notice the change that happened in these verses? Go back to verse 3. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. But the promise of being a special people, a special nation, in verse 6 is to whom? To the children of Israel. doesn't say to the house of Jacob. The difference between the house of Jacob and the children of Israel is faith. Faith. And faith brings repentance, just like you said. So back to Exodus, no, Deuteronomy. Go back to Deuteronomy 5 in verse 3. The main point that I think Moses is trying to drive home here is take it personally. God could have just thrown a book from heaven and said, four, but he didn't. He came down and spoke to them personally. So take it personal. Verse 4 says, The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. Did they see God's face? No. He was obscured by the fire and the smoke. But they heard the voice. They heard the voice from the fire. What are the odds it was just a Canaanite boy having fun with them? Answer is no. If he was standing in the midst of the fire, he would have been screaming something else. For sure, for sure. The Lord is... Debear spoke. What's that mean? Strong emotion. He's letting them know he means it. Good point. So the point I wanted you to get in verse 2, I'm sure you got. They must believe that the Lord is God. All right, let's get on with it. Verse 5. 
I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord. Why? Why didn't God continue to speak after the ten? Because the people said we're afraid. It says four, because you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up the mountain. So he says, these are the words that he spoke. He said, these are the words. Number six, I am the Lord your God. Where Lord there is the tetragrammaton. Your God means take it personal. It doesn't say one of your gods, does it? It says your God, singular. What did Messiah say in John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Turn first to Hosea chapter 13. Hosea 13. There's a difference in the numbering of the Ten Commandments between a Jewish theologian and a Christian theologian. In the Jewish thought... The first commandment is, I am the Lord your God. So the command is, you must believe in me. We don't list that as commandment number one because there's no commandment in it. It's simply a statement of fact. So we were going to Hosea chapter 13, verse 4, which says, yet I am the Lord, there's the tetragrammaton, your God, ever since the land of Egypt, Why ever since the land of Egypt? Because they accepted him as God. They took a vow and entered into a covenant that he would be God. And you shall know no God but me. Everybody say what? Ain owed. For there is no savior besides me. There are many false gods in this world. And which of them can save anybody? None of them. Only the Lord our God can save. So let's go back and look at the first of our commandments. Verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. What is that word before? Leaf nay. The lamed means to. And the rest of it means my face. In other words, when you worship any god but the Lord, it's like you're getting right up in his face and spitting in his face. You don't want to do that. So, I got to ask the question. Is there truly idolatry in the world today? Yes. Or is this just something from millennia ago? Give me one religion that worships an idol. What's that? Well, let's, let's save that one. What about Islam? Who do the Muslims worship? Allah, which is the moon god. They're all required to go to Mecca and go round and round a stone because they say that stone is a piece of the moon. So 
as they march around that, they're worshiping the moon god. How many saw the opening of the European Games recently? They had a great big huge bull and people come up and worship it. The opening of the Gothard Tunnel a couple years ago, did you see that video? They had a man come out dressed as Satan and they did mock sacrifices to him. The Gothard Tunnel connects around Switzerland, there by the um, Large Hadron Collider. Yeah. Um, how many of you ever have seen one of those big, fat-bellied Buddhas? That's an idol. Here in the southern, southeastern particular United States, Georgia and Alabama, is the center of the Church of Satan. Yeah, Satan worship is big in Alabama and Georgia. When we lived in Alabama, part of the time we lived in Prattville, and Prattville there was a grove of pecan trees where they used to do pagan rituals and sacrifices. Yeah. So this stuff is real. And lately, if you've been watching the news over the last couple of years, the Pope has been trying to bring into St. Peter's a copy of each and every idol that's worshipped in the world. Have you seen that? They've had the various delegations bring a copy of their idols to put in there just to show that, hey, we're all, all on the same track, all going to God. Hello. Yes, ma'am? So the Ark of Baal that they set up in D.C. and New York. Yeah, the Arch of Baal. Remember, they set that up in D.C. and in New York. Yeah. So idolatry is alive and well today. Those we would all look at and go, clearly that's pagan idolatry. But idolatry covers a range of characteristics. In the, what's that? I said money. Nah. Well, some people do worship that, you know, for what they get, you know, covetousness. And yeah, that's covetousness, but not idolatry. Very rarely do you see them go up to an image of a dollar bill and bow down and light candles and make prayers like they do to Mary. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry. I wasn't going to go there yet, but okay. What were you going to say? Oh, okay. I blew your mind. Never mind. No, okay. No, okay. Well, I was just thinking about people idolize themselves and you know, you look at that over the past 15 years. Humanism. You are God. Yes. We are and each and every one gods. And, and, you know, me, 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 and I'm going to post everything out on Facebook and, yep. and all this stuff. Mormonism. You too can reach godhood and be god over your own planets there's lots of that but how about in the fifth century a new thing was introduced to the christmas celebration and that was santa claus yeah think about santa claus a magical being has always lived will live eternally He's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out if you're naughty or nice. So you have to conform your conduct to his expectations. If you're good, he rewards you with blessings. If you're bad, he rewards you with the cold. So you better leave him an offering of milk and cookies. Does any of this sound like idolatry? You can say, well, it's just a child's game. It's not. Yeah. 
So, enough of that. Let's go to the scriptures. Yes, some. Yeah, humanism isn't designed to say you're metaphorically a god. It's designed to say you are your own god. You You get to decide. Yeah, and those are not. They're they're distractions. They're to keep you from focusing on true idolatry. Idolatry begins, if you will, in the Garden of Eden. God said, thou shalt not eat from the tree. And Satan said, yeah, go ahead, eat from the tree. And who did they listen to? So when God says, do A, and anyone else says, do B, and you choose to do B, you have become their slave. You have made them God, if you will. So that's why we need to not do that. So let's go to Deuteronomy 12 and look at the scriptures about the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Go to Deuteronomy 12, which we will get to eventually if the Lord tarries. And if not, yep, we'll just have to assemble by the river up in heaven. You'll know where to find me because I'll be singing the song of Moses. Hopefully a little better then, but okay. Deuteronomy 12, first, the first four verses. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord your God, Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you to possess all the days that you live on the earth, which means forever and ever. You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations which you shall dispossess serve their gods. On thy mountains, on the hills, and under every green tree. That is the evergreen trees. What does that say about cutting one down? Bring it in the house. Put it on a base that won't topple. Decorate it with silver and gold and fancy things. It says don't do it. You shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and burn their wooden images with fire. You shall cut down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. I thought that was kind of clear. But because Moses was afraid, maybe you didn't hear it. He says again in verses 25 to 32. Which means minutes later. He's probably looking out the crowd going, they're going to sneak that Hanukkah bush in. Yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding. Verse 25 to 32. You shall not eat it. What? The blood. That it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. Where did God choose? Jerusalem. 
And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood, and the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they're destroyed from before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. That doesn't just mean don't worship their gods that way. It means don't worship our God that way. So verse 31 says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Well, you got to admit, it's been since chapter 4 since Moses said this, so it was time to say it again. I have heard recently from people who sincerely believe that it's okay to eat food sacrificed to idols. Because Paul said we could. Well, let's go look. Go to Acts chapter 15, verse 20. Acts 15, verse 20. What are things polluted by idols? Things that have been sacrificed to idols. So food sacrificed to idols. What are we supposed to do? What's that word abstain? Don't do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 10. 1 to eat food sacrificed to idols is to participate in the sacrifice. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So Paul says, don't even take a piece of lamb into the pagan temple and eat it, because they may assume that you're eating food sacrificed to idols, and that may lead them into sin. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 14. 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Messiah? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Messiah? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. 
Why does he add after the flesh? Because there's Israel after the spirit. So Israel after the flesh means the physical descendants. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything or what is offered to idols is anything? No. Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we, are we stronger than he? In verse 23, this confuses people. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. People say, this says, Paul says, the commandments are all gone. I can do anything I want. Is that what it says? No, if you read it correctly, it would be even if all things were lawful, that doesn't mean everything would be good. Verse 28, the same chapter. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. Is that clear? Do not eat it. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2 takes place 30 years after Paul's died. And what are the churches doing? Going off the rails, eating things sacrificed to idols. Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. How does the Lord feel about those in the church eating things sacrificed to idols? Does he say, well, it's okay now? He most certainly doesn't. He calls them to what? To repent. And notice in verse 16, it's not just repent, it's repent or else. Revelation chapter 2, verse 20, to another church. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. If you find a package of meat in the grocery store, which I hope you won't, that's marked halal, it has been offered to Allah. Halal, H-A-L-A-L. Don't eat it. Fortunately, we don't have much of that around here. You do in foreign countries, though. Wait. Yes? All of this just makes me sit back and realize how grateful I am to be in a fellowship like this where I'm thinking back to our 501c3 days. And I'm sitting here reflecting on I have no idea, like, the, the fellowships that we would have and the sources of the food that they would bring in and not really knowing at the time, but knowing now, uh, I, I, I think 
I know that this is a safe place. This is because yeah. it's somewhere you know that here's to the Torah. Yeah. And that's a good place to be. It is. Wayne, did Paul not address that when he said, "Don't ask"? Yes, Paul, when he said, don't ask. If somebody sets a piece of steak in front of you, do you have to ask them if they sacrificed it? No. But he said, if they tell you, then don't eat it. One of the big things that's new today, which is a little bit off topic, go to Leviticus chapter 11. Leviticus chapter 11. There's so many things to be careful of in our food. Expand on which part? The part. Yeah, Paul said, if somebody sets a stake in front of you, don't ask, oh, by the way, did you sacrifice this to an idol? Okay. But he says, but if they tell you this was sacrificed to an idol, Paul said, do not eat it. Yes. Paul says specifically, eat it without asking. Paul said that. Okay. I wouldn't eat it anyway. But he didn't say you have to. So really, should we not go out to restaurants? Because you don't know. Even if the waitress has offered this to somebody else, yeah, but I wouldn't go that far because God holds you accountable for what you know. But let's get on to Leviticus 11 to something else we need to watch out for because it's coming. It's in Canada right now and it will be coming across the border very shortly. Go to Leviticus chapter 11. Verse 43. Well, let's look at verse 41. We'll start at 41. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth shall be an abomination. It shall not be eaten. Whatever crawls on its belly, whatever goes on all fours, or whatever has many feet among all creeping things that creep on the earth, these you shall not eat, for they are an abomination. You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. What they have started doing in Canada and other countries is, without telling anybody, grinding up crickets and putting that in flour. Go to verse 22 of what? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not. No. It's talking about the kinds of things in verse 22 you can eat have wings. So locusts, grasshoppers. Yes. But is that the kind of crickets they're grinding up? I don't think it is. And that's why we're getting the warnings. They wanted to come to America, yes. That's well, what they want. Yeah. 
If they're listing arachnids on it, I wouldn't eat it. Yeah. Okay. I'm a little off topic, so let's go back to Deuteronomy 5. You just got to watch what they're putting in food. I'm sure I've told you all, I was in Nebraska not too long ago, and my niece had bought for my other niece some beef sticks that say 100% beef. No, it's not in a pork casing, actually. But if you look down the ingredients, it says something like, and other flavorings. So I looked it up online. The other flavorings are pork. They put on the label, natural flavorings, that's what it was. They put on the label, it's 100% beef. But what they say they mean by that is the beef that's in it is 100% beef. That's misleading. So you got to watch. Yes, Phil, or whoever it is. Two other food tricks that, I, that Tara and I have seen is, yes, there are a lot of beef sausage or chicken sausage, and you will go through the ingredients even that are listed on the official labeling, but you don't notice until you flip it over, look at some fine print, and it says, in pork casings. Yes, there's a lot of beef sticks and turkey sticks and things like that that are in pork casings, and they don't advertise it up front in great big letters. You may not even find it on the back. You may have to go to the websites. So my rule of thumb is if the package doesn't say it's kosher and it's got natural flavorings, I want to go to the website and see what the natural flavorings are before I'm willing to accept it. Yes, they don't have to declare it, but if they don't declare it, I'm not eating it. I will assume the reason they are afraid to declare it is because we won't eat it. So that's my and default. One, and one other, one time I was going through, uh, Tara and I were going through the grocery store, and we see Jiffy Cornbread Mix original. Jiffy Cornbread Mix original. And Jiffy Cornbread Mix vegetarian, and I think, what's the difference? And I get to reading the label, the original, even though it's a powdery mixture, has lard. Has lard in it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to really be careful with cornbread, especially down here in the south, and biscuits, yeah. and gravy. Just for everybody, because so, you seem so interested in this, um, 25, 30 years ago, I got a book, and I found her updated uh, edition. Her name is Ruth Winter, and she... Um, wrote, uh, it's, I, I think it's called Consumer Index to, I don't remember the title. Okay. Anyway, and, and what you do is, if you can't read, if you don't understand what those labels are, whether they're chemically, you know, chemical labels or whatever, you just go to the ingredients and it's alphabetized and you can find out whether you're eating poisons or whether you, whatever the source is. It's real easy to follow. I'll be happy to send you a picture of the book. Um, or text me or whatever, and I literally would take it with me to the grocery store so that I could compare the label to, you know, what is this? And a lot has really changed over the last five to ten years in that what used to be, um, they call it grass, generally regarded as safe, 
and a lot of that has changed through the FDA also. Yep. So we're seeing more and more. Yep. Rich. All right. So let's get back to the commandments because we're still on number one. But we are going quickly to number two. Verse eight. You shall not make for yourself, meaning never ever, a carved image. Does that mean you can't take a photograph of somebody? No, it doesn't mean that. A carved image is one that is made to be worshipped. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water beneath the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, that is thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So the second commandment, verses 8 through 10, is do not make anything of something that is to be worshipped. How many of you have a picture of Jesus on your wall? That's not Yeshua. That's not Yeshua. That's an idolatrous image. Take it down. A crucifix. Get rid of it. Okay. Let's look at the verses in the scriptures on not making idols. Let's go to X, I'm sorry, Acts. Let's go to Acts first, chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Verse 16. I know a lot of us that were stationed overseas in the Pacific brought back things like those ornamental dragons and things like that. I had to get rid of all those. Are they an idol? Yes. See, not to me, but they are to them. Right. So I should not have them in my home. Should not have them. A Buddha on the wall as a decoration. Shouldn't have it. So Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. What kind of idols did they have around Athens? Yeah, Zeus, Apollo, all those guys. It provoked Paul's spirit, which means what? Yeah, it was time for him to start preaching. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Verse 22. Romans chapter 2, verse 22. You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? If they're robbing temples, what are they taking? The gold and silver is fashioned in the images of what? Idols. They're fashioned images of idols. And you may say, well, to me, it's just a hunk of gold that I can melt down. But Paul says, don't even take the idol to melt it down. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. 
however you were led. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Starting in verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You are the temple of the living God. What agreement should you have with idols of any kind? None. What about Christmas trees? What about Easter eggs? Are these things that are out of idolatry? They are. Did God say don't use them to worship me? He did. Yes, ma'am. Touch. Mm -hmm. You used the word touch and it's in the scripture. Yeah, but it's not actually touch. It's to cling to. To hold on to. To hold on to. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. The English doesn't always convey what they're trying to teach us. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 1 Thessalonians 1.9 I can't tell you the number of people who have said to me, I don't care what the Bible says, you're not touching my Christmas tree. Well, okay, if that's what it means to you, okay. Yeah, that was my mama. <laughs> She said, yeah, yeah, you're right. The Bible says don't eat it, but I've eaten it all my life. I ain't going to quit now. wonder what she's thinking now. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What's that mean they turned to God from idols? They repented of their idolatry. They turned away from it. They don't do it anymore. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. What you're going to find by the time we're done is all of the Ten Commandments are all through the New Testament as well as they are the Old Testament. Yeah, they can be. 1 John 5.21. Let us see. 1 John 5.21. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Such a simple statement. Does it remind you of the Catholic nun smacking your knuckles with the ruler when you misbehave? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Revelation 9.20. No, I didn't go to Catholic school. But I did watch the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Revelation chapter 9 verse 20. Oops, I've got seven red numbers out here. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Susie Q says, I think that Pop-Tarts are not clean as well. <laughs> I believe, though, that with Pop-Tarts, the gelatin is bovine. But I would check it before I ate one. I haven't even seen a Pop-Tart in 30 years. But, yeah, and that's Rachel and Mark's response. Pop-Tarts has a lot of stuff in it that's not good. Okay. Now we're all cut up. Back to Revelation. We're in chapter 9, verse 20. 
But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. This is the second time we've seen in the New Testament that what is behind each idol? A demon. Hmm. Do I want to go there? Yep, Exodus 32. <laughs> I have an impulse control problem, I know. Exodus 32. Verses 1 to 6. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain... The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which are in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then he said, this is your God. It's actually your God's plural, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they fashioned this bull to represent the God who led them out of Egypt. And how did God take it? Yeah. If Moses had not intervened, might God have destroyed them all and started over? He might have. Back to Deuteronomy 5. Verses 8 to 10. What kind of idolatrous images should we have? None. None. But Wayne, that's Old Testament. That's why we added all that New Testament. Does God change? No. And notice in verse 10. But showing mercy to thousands, that's thousands of generations, to those who love me and keep my commandments. What does John 14, 15 say? If you love me, Keep my commandments. What does 1 John chapter 5 verses 2 to 3 say? What is the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. So people will say the New Testament just says to keep Jesus' commandments. I don't have to keep God's commandments. <laughs> to which I say rewind the tape to that discussion from Isaiah. And what did the Lord himself say in John 14? And these words are from the Father. Yeah. Okay. And in verse 10 of Deuteronomy 5, those are participles, meaning what? Keep doing it. It's not a one time and done, one and done. It's continuous action. It's those who keep on loving me and obeying my commandments because of the love that you have for me. Yeah. All those little details. 
They're all important. Verse 11. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for, which means because, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The primary meaning is when you take an oath on the name of God, you must keep it. That should cause an awful lot of people concern, remembering that their marriage vows were taken on the name of God. But that's not the only thing covered by this verse. When you hear somebody cursing, taking the name of God or the Lord or Yeshua in a curse, what you're doing, the word vain means to make it empty, useless or common, not special. When you use it as a common curse out of your mouth every few verses, what you're saying is that the name of God means nothing to me. And what did he say? He will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So if you have a habit of doing that in the past, I would be repenting of it really soon. Let's look at it in the New Testament. Go to the book of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Wait a minute, I got six more red things out there. Let's see. Okay, all those looks like they've been resolved. Verse 9, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is completely different from vain, right? May it be treated with the utmost of respect, treated as holy, not as common. Go to Psalm 139, verse 20. Psalm 139, verse 20. Mm -hmm. Psalm 139, verse 20. I'm going to start in 19 for context because you're really going to understand it if I start in 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 66, it tells us when the Lord returns, his enemies are going to be slaughtered. One thing that characterizes his enemies is that they take his name in vain. That helps us understand what he meant. I will not hold him guiltless, doesn't it? Leviticus chapter 24. Leviticus chapter 24, starting in verse 10. Now the son of an Israelite woman whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel, and this Israelite woman's son 
and the men of Israel fought each other in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shulamit, the daughter of Debris of the tribe of Dan. Then they put him in custody that the mind of the Lord might be shown to him, to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take outside the camp him who has cursed, that is cursed on the name of God. Let all who heard him lay their hands on his head and let all the congregation stone him. You shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him. The stranger, that is the non-Jew, as well as him who was born in the land, when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. Does this tell you how much the Lord hates it when you take his name in vain? When you blaspheme it? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 26. Back to the New Testament. Matthew chapter 26. Verse 64. Yeshua said to him, It is you, it is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man. Who's the Son of Man? That's Yeshua. Sitting at the right hand of the power. That's Psalm 1101. And coming on the clouds of heaven. That's Revelation 1911. Then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? The answer instead, he is deserving of death. What did he do that made them say this is blasphemy? He claimed to be God. What if he wasn't? Then he would be guilty of blasphemy. He would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. Unfortunately for them, he is God. So he did not blaspheme, and the error was theirs. Go to John 10. John 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. So humanism today says you are your own God. Is that blasphemy? That's blasphemy. Is that taking the name of the Lord in vain? That's taking the name of the Lord in vain. Should we do it? No. Colossians 3.8. I know we're coming very close to the end of our time. Colossians 3.8. But I do remember that you guys asked that when we do Deuteronomy, make sure we understand the commandments. So that's what we're trying to do. Colossians 3.8.
But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. Is it okay to cuss if we don't use the name of the Lord in vain? No. Revelation 2.9 What are you supposed to do when you hit your thumb with the hammer? The answer is keep your mouth shut and cry. Revelation 2 9. Revelation. What's that? When I praise him, when I hit my thumb, it don't hurt so bad. Okay, good. Revelation 2 9. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Why is that blasphemy to claim to be a Jew when you're not? The word Jew means one who worships the true and living God. If you're not worshiping the true and living God, if you're from the synagogue of Satan, that's blasphemy. Because you make the name of God of little value. That's what he's saying. That's what he's referring to as the synagogue of Satan. Remember how he told the scribes and Pharisees, your brood of vipers? Yeah. Revelation 13, 6. That's why we need to preach Yeshua to all people. Revelation 13, 6. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Who would dare do that? That's the false messiah, the antichrist, the beast of Revelation 13. The one described in Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. One last reference and then we'll quit. Revelation chapter 17, verse 3. Referring to the kingdom of the false messiah, antichrist, or beast of Revelation 13 is verse 3. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. What's going to happen to that woman and that beast? They're going to be destroyed and ultimately cast into the lake of fire. Our time has expired. We will have to pick up next week, Lord willing. With, would you believe verse 12 about the Sabbath day?